Well, my brothers and sisters in Good Shepherd, it is a delight to be with you once again. It's been about seven months since we were together at the church camp, and uh, I still have very fond memories of our time together, and a great joy uh, to be uh, invited to come and, and uh, share this, uh, this service with you. Yeah, I want to begin, as I usually do, with a little anecdote. Um, so a pastor was preaching a stirring message on faith, and he was telling his people that you need to have great trust and faith in the Lord. And then he challenged them at an, with an altar call, bring your needs before the Lord and uh, come up for prayer. And so there was a, a lot of people who came up for prayer. So he went up to this one man, very tall young man, and he said, how can I pray for you? He says, Pastor, pray for my hearing. He said, brother, you just need to believe, all right? You pull all the faith out of you and believe that the Lord can do a miracle. Can you do that? Yes, Pastor. And I'm going to pray like Jesus, all right? And so together we'll add our faith and we'll see a mighty miracle. So he took his fingers and he put them in the man's ears like he, he remembered Jesus doing. And he prayed, oh God, bless this man's hearing, and you can do all things. You are a God of wonders and all that. He kind of like shook, shook his head even. And then finally, he pulled out his fingers and he said, Brother, how is your hearing? He says, I don't know. The, the pastor was a bit puzzled. He says, no, no, no. Just, just tell me, how is your hearing now? He says, I have no idea. Now the pastor was getting a bit annoyed. He says, why is it? I'm asking you just a simple question and you're being so difficult. Why can't you tell me how your hearing is? He said, Pastor, my hearing is next Wednesday in the subordinate courts. After that, I'll tell you. <laughs> now, you know, when is it that we need to exercise faith? When we face storms in life. And all of us face storms in life, whether in our family life or work or even in church and so today we want to look at how Jesus is with us in our storms. And so I'm going to look at three main headings. We all face storms. Secondly, we get confused and upset when the Lord seems to do nothing. And finally, we should trust that the Lord is with us and we'll be okay. So firstly, and um, we all face storms even when we seek to obey God. This is verses 35 to 37 of Mark 4. So in verse 35, Jesus told his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And so in obedience to Jesus, they all got into the boat and they started across to the other side, the other side of the Sea of Galilee, okay, which is a big lake. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling some among those disciples were actually experienced fishermen accustomed to sailing through storms. But this storm seemed to be different. They had never seen one like it and they were afraid. It was too severe. Now the storm is actually highly symbolic. It represents problems that we face in life. Some may be small problems and with a bit of effort we can resolve them. Some may be bigger problems and take much effort before we can resolve them. But some problems in life may be just overwhelming, too big. Right? For example, all of us have uh, lived through COVID. COVID-19 was a worldwide storm, wasn't it? You know, the number of COVID cases uh, at present count, I think, totaled 
700 million. That's almost a three quarters of a billion people been infected at some point or other. However, the number of deaths was at 7 million. That's about 1% death rate. Um, I believe that that has a lot to do with the vaccination, that pre-vaccines, the death rate would have been significantly higher than that. Well, that was a great big storm we all faced together and uh, each one of us struggled in different ways. Now, not all storms are, are on the same scale as COVID. And, and as for why these storms come about, I think we can look at it in three different categories. There are storms that are totally undeserved. We didn't do anything to, to bring it upon ourselves and yet we face it. There are storms that are totally deserved. It is our own fault, our own foolishness, and we brought it upon ourselves. And then there's the sort of in-between grey zone where it's not quite clear you know, whether we deserve it or not, whether we had to, a part to play or not. So, so an undeserved storm could be, you know, uh, a car accident through somebody else's uh, drunk driving, for example, okay, and, and uh, resulting in damage or death. Uh, a deserved storm could be choosing to gamble and then losing all your money, okay? You, you made choices and, and, and you took risks and then a, a storm comes and hits the, the in-between one may be relationship problem, okay? Your, your spouse becomes unfaithful to you, has an affair or whatever, but sometimes that's totally uh, not your fault. Sometimes you may have driven them away. All, all these kind of complex scenarios are there. So uh, we all face all kinds of storms, some deserved, some undeserved. Now, as for the disciples in Mark chapter 4, what category do you think their storm was? Was it deserved? No, it was the weather. They had no control over it. They did not kind of bring it upon themselves. It was a totally undeserved storm. Who put them in that situation? Whose idea was it to get into the boat and go across the lake? It was Jesus, right? It was Jesus' idea and they were just following his instructions and then next thing you know, they find themselves in the midst of the storm. So, my friends, we can draw something from that. Don't be surprised that some major storms may hit us even when we are obeying the Lord, even when we are walking faithfully with him. Okay, This should teach us that obeying the Lord is not a way of guaranteeing a trouble-free life. Doing the right thing, being faithful, you know, uh, following your church leaders' uh, advice, having your quiet time, you know, coming faithfully, tithing, this and that, leading a cell group. These are not guarantees like you're buying a first-class ticket on a cruise liner to sail through life in luxury and comfort. Sometimes those who don't follow God's ways seem to be having a better time than those who do follow God's ways. And this is actually a point picked up by the psalmist in Psalm 73. You know, verses 1 to 5, where the psalmist is frustrated. He says, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no pangs until death. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. And these are the ungodly people, right? So he is saying, it's so unfair, right? God, where are you? So unfair. So storms are not always discipline for bad behavior and smooth passage is not always reward for good behavior. That is just too simplistic 
a way of interpreting situations in life. We need to look at things with the whole counsel of Scripture informing us. Okay? So let me get to my second point, which is we get confused and upset when the Lord seems to do nothing. Now take a moment to study the picture here on the screen. The scene is of the boat with the disciples kind of like clinging on for dear life. And what is the person, who is the person in the circle? Obviously that's Jesus and he's taking a snooze. All right. Now, it's very strange that although the storm was so violent, Jesus didn't seem to be doing anything to help. Yeah, in fact, he was fast asleep. How could anyone sleep in such a serious storm? Maybe he needed the sleep because he was very, very tired. See, Jesus was fully human. He did get tired and exhausted. He did need to replenish his energy through food and, and uh, water and sleep and rest. And he needed to go to the toilet and all kinds of human things that we don't think about. All right? You know, in my army days, and some of you here have been through army, it was a common experience that we were so tired all the time, especially when we are going through uh, tough training like basic military training or officer cadet training. And, and you can sleep anywhere, in any position. You know, there was one time I, I was giving a briefing to my platoon. I was like, I was an officer cadet and we were in, uh, doing some training overseas, and I was actually giving a briefing, and I was falling asleep in the middle of my own briefing. And my friend, I started to be babbling incoherent things, and then my eyes closed as I was forming my thoughts, and then I started sleeping. And then my friend called me out, and he said, he's sleeping in the midst of his own briefing. You know, because he's just so exhausted. The disciples were shocked that Jesus was asleep and they were doing their best to keep the boat afloat and they woke him up and they accused him. Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? Don't you care that we're all going to lose our lives? Don't you care that we are terrified out of our minds? Don't you care? That is a rhetorical question. It's not really asking for information. It is making an accusation and an allegation. You don't care, right? Now, why did they speak to him in such a disrespectful manner? Because that's what people do when they are panicked, when fear grips them. They lose all sense of propriety and respect. They are besides themselves. Because they also had this expectation, you see, that Jesus would act he would intervene sooner. As soon as the situation became a little bit dangerous, he would wake up and, you know, solve the problem for them. We sometimes carry that expectation too, right? I mean, small problems, God, you can let us handle. But the moment it gets a bit more than small, you should be here. You are God. That's your job. Right? So we have these expectations and when those expectations are not met, and we get upset. We get angry. We judge God by those expectations. 
If he really cared, as they assumed he did, he would immediately do something to calm the situation down. And so, because he didn't, uh, expectation became frustration, and frustration turned into accusation. Don't you care? Now, there's another illustration in the Bible, uh, in Luke's Gospel, of how, you know, expectation becomes frustration, and frustration becomes accusation. And that is a story of uh, Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. So Martha was preparing meals, uh, preparing a meal for Jesus and his disciples. And, uh, you know, at least 13 people, maybe at Martha and Mary, uh, 15 people to cook for. And she was not coping well in the kitchen. You know, she was expecting her sister Mary to come and help her. I mean, when you're cooking for 15 people, you sisters, you, you understand. Eh? If you're cooking for a family of five, it's one thing. You're cooking for 15 people, it's a whole other thing, right? The amount of ingredients you need to get, the size of the pot, you know, the things that you need to kind of cut, chop, stir, whatever, sauce, you need to go and get things, pluck things from the garden, garnish. Yeah, so she was not coping well. She was doing all this single-handedly and... You can imagine, I can imagine Mary, uh, Martha sending wordless signals to Mary, it's time for you to come and help. By banging the pots extra loud, by letting things drop here and drop there, creating a crash or two in the kitchen, just to sort of send a signal, Mary, you know, this is uh, like operation mobilization signal <laughs> coming. You better come, right? But Mary... Uh, didn't take the, didn't get the message, or maybe she pretended not to hear. I don't know. Uh, Martha finally gets so exasperated with Mary, and her anger quickly begins to envelop Jesus as well, because she thought Jesus would at least have been sensitive enough to her banging pots. All right, that he should have said to Mary, "Mary, please go and help your sister. I think she's having a meltdown." Okay, but Jesus seemed to do no such thing. He just carried on teaching. Right? So Martha marches up to him, rudely interrupts his teaching and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Ooh, she scolds her guest of honour. You know, would you do that to your guest of honour? Tell her to help me, commanding him. After she finishes her tantrum, Jesus gently rebukes her. Martha, Martha, you are worried and anxious about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen the better part, which is listening to Jesus share. The food was actually secondary. Okay? And it won't be taken away from her, meaning I'm not going to get her to exchange the primary for the secondary. Now, the psalmist actually kind of sums it all up beautifully for us in Psalm 73, verses 21 to 23, where he says, When my soul was embittered, and when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you, God. But then in the very next verse, there's a wonderful transition. He says, Nevertheless, I am continually with you and you hold my right hand. 
And so that leads me to my final point, which is we should trust that since the Lord is with us, we will be okay. Verses 39 to 41. So just as Jesus wanted Martha to trust him and not get angry with him, likewise, he wanted the disciples and all of us to trust him and not get angry with him. So first things first, Jesus woke up and he rebuked the storm, peace be still. This is like a like a, a someone commanding a dog. Shush. Keep quiet. You know, have you watched uh, Cesar Milan, the dog whisperer? Have you watched this, this guy? He's an expert. His name is Cesar Milan, right? And he's an expert at helping dog owners who have lost control of their dogs. You know, some dogs become like very, very violent, very fierce. The owner also gets scared of the dog and nobody dares to come in. And then Cesar Milan just walks up to them and then he just takes hold of the leash and suddenly the dog comes down after a bit of a struggle. And then he knows how to handle and, and calm the dog down. He was a, he's called the dog whisperer. Yeah, have you heard of him? Very interesting guy, the dog whisperer. Let me tell you something, Jesus is the storm whisperer. Par excellence. He's a storm whisperer, and the moment he spoke to the storm, it immediately obeyed his command and became still. Think about that. Now, this shows that although the forces of nature, like storms or pandemics, are not people or animals, they nevertheless can take instructions from Jesus because he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And after stilling the storm, Jesus turned to his disciples and asked them a very crucial question. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now this question is very illuminating because you see faith is not just knowing that Jesus can calm the storm. And faith is not just believing that Jesus will calm the storm when you need him to immediately. But faith is also trusting that and knowing that Jesus is in control and that you are still okay when he doesn't seem to calm the storm. That's faith. And that's the kind of faith he was looking for in his disciples. The trust that he was in control and that nothing bad would happen to them even when he doesn't seem to be calming, when he seems to be sleeping through the storm. I'm believing and trusting God that today God will use this message to grow all of us to another level of faith. I believe that all of us here can confidently assert that God can calm every storm. And we, all of us can also affirm that God will calm the most important storms. But sometimes we struggle when God doesn't intervene quickly enough to calm our storm when we want Him to. That's where we need to have the faith to say, God, you are in control, even though you don't seem to be doing anything. You are right here. So how should the disciples have handled the situation? If we could rewrite the story and the disciples' faith was actually stronger than it was, how would they have responded when that storm was brewing? This is my take. It's academic because it didn't happen this way, but I believe that had their faith been where Jesus wanted them to be, when the storm was brewing and Jesus was sleeping, they would have said, guys, let's handle this. We just do what we can. 
and, and so they would have tried their best. But then as they began to read the situation and the storm was getting worse and worse and it was beyond their ability and they knew that fear was beginning to rise up, rather than panic and, and scold Jesus, they would have gently woken him up, Lord, um, we need your help. This storm is beyond our ability to handle. Please take over. I believe that that's what the Lord would have been most pleased with. Please take over. This is beyond my ability to handle. But you are here. So this is trust. This is it's, it's remaining calm even when you're tempted to panic. It's, it's saying to the Lord, you are in control. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Tell me what to do. Instruct and command me what steps to take. Now, we can take comfort from the fact that the disciples were still young as believers at this point, and they had more room to grow in their understanding of Jesus. And many of us, too, can grow through such times of testing. We're not meant to be static in our level of faith. Faith should grow from one level to another to another. And very often, it's not through the good times, it's through the tough times. So by the time we get to the book of Acts... There was another storm in the form of fierce persecution. Christians being beaten up left and right, arrested left and right, even murdered left and right. A brewing storm of terrible ferocity. But this time the apostles were able to stay calm, stay rooted and stay on in their ministry their faith had grown. They were shining despite the deep darkness. So, my brothers and sisters, how about you? How will you respond when you face storms and the Lord seems to be inactive? I urge you to come before Him and say, Lord, you are in control. You are in control, even though my eyes tell me you're not, my heart tells me, and the word tells me you are. So speak, Lord. Tell me what to do. Take control, take over. You know, uh, let me end with uh, just a personal story. When I was uh, made vicar at St. John's and Margaret's, um, October 2012, my prayer to the Lord at the beginning of my my appointment was, Lord, please give me at least one uneventful year so that I can get used to the role of the vicar because I'm really trembling in my boots here. I'm so daunted by this task. You know, I was succeeding Bishop Rennes, who had been in the role 19 years, by the way. And then here was I, a rookie vicar, never been vicar anywhere else before, taking over, you know, sizable parish. I was so afraid that I would be the reason for the downfall of the parish. I was just literally terrified. So that was my prayer. Uh, did the Lord uh, grant me that prayer of an uneventful year? Well, you decide. Because three and a half months later, I received a letter from the Singapore Land Authority basically saying, the plot of land that your church is sited on is too large for a typical church and you have two options. Option A 
reduce your church footprint to one-third of, its, of the, the, the total land area and build a nursing home on the remaining two-thirds. Option B, reduce your church footprint to one-third of the land area and return the remaining two-thirds to the government and we will build the nursing home. You have about two weeks to respond. Do you know what effect that had on me when I walked into my office one sunny January morning and saw this letter with the official letterhead on my desk and I stood up. I hadn't even sat down yet. I, 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 I read it standing up. <laughs> I, I put it down and I went to the corner of my office where I have a kneeler and I knelt down there straight away and I started crying to the Lord. You cannot let this happen. I thought I was going to die. I thought this whole thing would crush me, finish me off, chew me up and spit me up. I don't have the wherewithal to handle a crisis like this because option A and option B both involve reducing the buildings of the church from, two, from its current two-thirds of the land size area to one-third, meaning we have to demolish everything and rebuild everything in half the the space that we currently occupy with all our buildings. What? And then two weeks to respond. Whoa. But in my panic, as I'm there on my knees crying to the Lord, suddenly I get a flash of a picture. And that picture was the Lord showing me a scene, something like this or actually the earlier picture with, with Jesus uh, asleep. But not that, that specific painting, but the scene from the scriptures, that scene from Mark chapter 4, flashed into my heart. And in the disciples' panic, I saw my panic. And in the final outcome, I saw the word of the Lord to me. It says, your job is to look to me And I will see you through. So I did not die that day. And uh, I received a sense of peace that the Lord is in control and that he will see us through. I don't have time to go through all the miracles that he worked out for us. That's been documented in the SJSM website, if you're ever interested to, to hear the story about Project Spring Winter. But it was a humbling moment when about eight years later, I attended the official opening of the SJSM village where the nursing home had been built and the, the child care centre had been built and the church was still intact. We didn't have to uh, demolish and rebuild. And uh, to God be the glory... You know, I was so weak. I couldn't have done that. But God brought people around me and he gave favor. He opened doors that seemed impossible to open. And at the end of the day, he proved himself faithful. I share that with you, brothers and sisters, just to say that we each have our own struggles and storms to go through. You know, what, what is your storm? You know best, better than anyone else. But how are you responding to the storm? 
I mean, with all your mental faculties focused on the storm, are you forgetting the posture of your heart? Because really, God's focus is not on the storm that's surrounding you. God is watching very carefully your heart and how you're responding to the storm. That's what he's looking for. Respond to him. And so, uh, let me summarize by saying, this whole story tells us that we all face storms even when we seek to obey God. We get confused and upset when the Lord seems to do nothing. That's natural. But what we really need to grow into is that we trust that since the Lord is with us, we will be okay. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you grateful thanks for this passage in Scripture which has massive implications for the way we live our lives. Let your word strengthen us, solidify us, edify us in our faith. So that come what may, in our family life, our work life, our health, our church life, or society in Singapore or in the world, come what may, never lose sight of you because you will never leave nor forsake us. That is your promise and it is unbreakable. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.